I, I want to preach. Can I preach? Woo, Lord. Turn around and grab your Bibles. Turn around and grab your Bibles. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 33 and Exodus chapter 34. Some of you right now are saying, Woo, we're going to be in two chapters. It's going to be a long one. It might. Can we have a conversation about Jesus today? <laughs> the subject matter of our conversation, really, if you will, the title of today's message as we close out this series, Greater Than, the title is Line Up Your Lips. Everybody in here, just stick out your lips. No, I'm serious. Everybody in here, stick, stick out your lips right here. Just like no. We're not going to the next part of this message until you stick out your lips. Some of y'all are saying, I ain't doing that. Listen, just, just, just do Stick out your lips. Pucker up really nice. If you're single and the person beside of you is single, why don't you greet them with a holy kiss? I'm kidding. Dude in the back's like, oh yeah. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 34 verses 1 through 10 just a part of the narrative let me just say this today is going to be set up a little different than than the last few parts of this series um, we're going to come from a different angle I'm going to use a different style uh, 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 in fact we're going to begin where we should be ending I'm going to preach in reverse today and then we're going to come back and establish the narrative or the context to the narrative is that okay so I want you to pray for me as as I convey this message that I don't mess up what God has given to me. You see, as Exodus chapter 34 unfolds, the people of Israel are still in the desert. They're in the desert just wandering around. They're, they're a nation without a land. No borders, no boundaries, a nomadic people with division and, and crisis. But there is this one leader by the name of Moses who is an unapologetic leader who continually conveys the message and the principles of God that God has placed within his heart. And the more that I study this passage of Scripture, I cannot, see the par I cannot help but to see the parallels between that culture and our culture because all you have to do is just turn on the news and you see that over the last several months that culture has certainly gone in a certain direction through the political system and the social strata. There is a crisis in our land and in the midst of the crisis, the church finds itself in a conscience crisis trying to discover her identity. How do we speak as a church to a culture that has made up its mind to go in a certain direction? How do we speak as a church to a culture while at the same time remaining politically correct? How, as a church, we still are in the midst of this crisis? The crisis for us is to establish our identity in the midst of a culture that is in crisis. And how do we do that? At some point in time, our lips must begin to convey the message of Christ. Are you listening to me? I am not saying that we should convey the message of Christ in such a way that it is judgmental. But we should convey the message of Christ in such a way that it is loving. Sometimes we can 
say and do things about the name of Jesus and it becomes offensive. But any and everyone in the land can say whatever they want to do. But let us mention Jesus and it becomes offensive. Let me just go ahead and tell you something. If we don't allow the beauty of the name of Christ to roll off of our lips, how will we influence a culture that is in crisis? Can I tell you something? Just because it has become common for man does not mean that God's in agreement with it. Just because it's become common for man does not mean it's acceptable for God. I am not up here standing on a soapbox trying to preach to you a political message. However, I am trying to give to you the context to this biblical narrative. Because Moses, when this chapter unfolds, he's been up on top of the mountain communing with God. And when he comes down off of the mountain, the people have gone crazy. No one was there to communicate the words of God to the people. So the people decided that they would make a golden calf and that they would begin to worship the golden calf and they would dance around all naked doing the nay-nay. What's me? I'll cray cray. Watch me whip. Anyway, come back, Holy Spirit. So here is this group of people, and Moses unapologetically begins to convey the message of God in such a way that the people come back to God. You see, what I'm trying to say to you is God is looking for a church that will unapologetically begin to proclaim the goodness of who He is in a, in a clarity, in a position of clarity that reflects the beauty of Christ, who will chase after those who are broken, those who are lost, who will go after those who are messed up, who will be offensive to the gates of hell, but who will begin to lift up heaven. So can I tell you something what's on your lips church what's on your lips sit down just sit down sit down sit down I forgot you were standing the text says this the narrative beginning in chapter 34 let me read to you what it says it says the Lord said to Moses chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones You see, Moses came down from the mountain with the first set of tablets and he saw the people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Culture had had become divided. Cray, cray, and he broke the tablets. So now God's telling him to make some more tablets and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up onto Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. You see, this is a specific set of instructions that God is giving to Moses as a result of Moses' request in chapter 33. Moses said to God, God, I want to see your glory. God, I want to hang out with you face to face. So now God is telling Moses, this is how you're going to do it. Verses 4 and 5, it says this. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Verse 5, then the Lord came down in the cloud. Everybody say the cloud. You thought the cloud was something new. No, it's not. Some of you are not IT savvy. You'll get that on the way home. Just Google it. And stood there with him. 
and proclaimed his name, the Lord. See, the cloud, the cloud was emblematic of God. See, during that day and age, if a, if a royal person would come, they would come bearing a flag. They would set the flag up outside of the tent or the place that they were meeting, and it would tell everyone that royalty was there. You see, when God showed up, when God rolled in, the cloud rolled down. It was the presence of God. Everyone say presence. And when the presence of God showed up, God began to give us the attributes the characteristics of his name it says and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness I, I, I love this the, the, the Jews call this the 13 attributes of God I love how God announces his coming. He says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. You know, God had an accent. Abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiveness and maintaining his love to thousands. The Lord, the Lord. God doesn't have a stuttering problem. But why does he say when he announces his name, Yahweh, Yahweh? He says it twice. The Lord, the Lord. It's like when you enter a room and you would be like, Mark, Mark. <laughs> why? Listen, can I tell you why? Because there's a great significance to his name. His name is the name that is above every other name. One theologian says that the reason why he says his name twice is to show us the unchangeableness to his name. That he's a God that changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's saying to Moses is, Moses, I am the same God that spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, I am the same God that talked to you in the middle of, of a desert in a burning bush situation. Moses, I am the same God that delivered you from the Pharaoh. Moses, I am the same God that touched your tongue when you could not talk. Moses, I am compassionate and gracious. The word compassionate means that he reaches down to our level, stoops down to where the need is at. So he's saying, Moses, I'm in control. The people of Israel need to know that I'm in control. But God, but God, there's a financial crisis in our economy today. Have you seen the stock market? The Lord is here. But God, my marriage is a wreck. The Lord is here. But God, my kids are driving me crazy. The Lord is here. But God, the doctor said, I don't care what the doctor said because the Lord is here. He is able. He is just. And the same way that he met with Moses, he'll meet with you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So here's Moses, here's Moses, communicating with God. Moses, here's God say, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving, maintaining my love to, to thousands. You see, what he's saying to Moses is, Moses, I've called you into the promised land. And the reason why the promised land is beautiful is because I'm there. But the more that I read this, I, I, I see a, a conflict, a conundrum, if you will. 
Because if this is the attributes of God, he is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving, maintaining his love to thousands. If that is the characteristics of God, shouldn't it be the characteristics of the church? You see, in a world and a nation that is so divided, it is paramount that the body have unity. It is paramount that the unity of the body begin to send out the message of love because the thing that is most important is that the church culture reflects the kingdom's culture. You see, the thing that is most important is not our past, it's not the color of our skin, but the thing that is most important is the blood that was shed on the cross that shall set men free. Good God Almighty. I came to teach, but I feel my preach. Moses, Moses, Moses. Lord, Lord, I'm compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving, maintaining my love to thousands. That is the characteristics of, of God, but, but, but sometimes I don't think we see God the way he described himself you see sometimes let me tell you this the way you view God determines the direction of your life let me say it this way the way you view God determines what rolls off of your lips you see if you see God as this untrustworthy God then you'll keep God at a distance if you see God as this unmerciful God, then you'll become unforgiving. If you see God as a judgmental God, then you'll become judgmental. The way that you view God determines what rolls off of your lips. And so here is Moses. Moses, he says to Moses, I am compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and maintaining my love to thousands and but there's something deeper that's resonating in this verse. You, you have to understand this. You see, in the previous chapter, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses told God, he said, Rhonda, he said, I, I, I want to I be with you face to face. I don't want to ever lose that. I need an intimacy with you that goes far beyond any gift that you can ever give to me. That's what I need. You see, Moses wanted the presence of God. Everyone say presence. Moses wanted the presence of God, not because the presence could bring the promise, not because the presence could bring the perspective. Moses wanted the presence of God because it brought God's companionship. And when he knew that God was his companion, he knew then that verses 6 and 7 would be the attributes in his life. A compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and maintaining his love to thousands. You see, isn't it strange that the very first attribute that God mentions about himself is compassion and grace? compassion and grace, compassion and grace. But can I be honest with you? The church seems to not roll down that road as quickly as we ought. Instead, we want to point fingers and say, oh, he doesn't look like we look and he hasn't lived like we live and he doesn't do the things and she's an addict and she's been married 18 times. She's the Liz Taylor of our culture. 
Listen, I, I, I just need to be honest with you. As a pastor, I have never seen a child say, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict so that every one of my relationships are broken. I've never seen a child say, when I get old, I want to be abused by everyone so that I have so much baggage that no one will ever want to be my friend. I've never seen some child, when they're young, say, when I grow up, I want to have so many emotional problems and I want to be rejected by everyone so that I have no one around me. No! That doesn't happen, but life happens. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why God needs a church that will begin to proclaim His compassion and His graciousness. Because God goes after the lost and the broken and the messed up and the down and out. In fact, God's Word says that His grace and His compassion heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Come on, somebody. Help me preach in this place. I forgot you were playing. So thank you. So, so, so Moses, Moses, Moses is communicating with God. Listen, let me tell you something about this, this dialogue. Moses is struggling because the people of Israel are a difficult people. They're crazy. Comes down off the mountain, watch me, nay, nay. Watch me whip. They're crazy. And so Moses is going through the struggle in his life and with trying to lead these people. But not only that, he's struggling with himself. He's struggling, struggling over the last 80 years of his life. The first 40 years, he's living in the Pharaoh's palace, really not accepted by the Egyptians, not accepted by his own people. The next 40 years, he runs. He runs from the previous 40 years and he winds up in the wilderness tending someone's sheep that's not his own. God, compassionate and gracious God. You see, what you need to understand is that God is beginning to show Moses the solution when he says, I am a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love, Moses. You see, the compassion of God takes away our struggles let me help you understand something the compassion of God takes away our struggles Christ wants to live his life through you it is your connection with Christ the intimacy that you have with Christ that brings out of you the words of Christ or the words of God you see, if you're not intentional about knowing the Word of God, the Word of God can't come out of you. If you're not intentional about knowing the Word of God, then you're probably not having an intimate relationship with God. You see, if, if your intimacy is, is relegated to, to your 911 prayers when you need something, that's not intimacy. If your intimacy is, is like you wake up in the morning and you say, I need to go ahead and get my devotion out of the way so that I can get on with my day, that's not intimacy. If your connection to God is, is coming to church on Sunday and nodding to God, give God the nod, that's not intimacy. 
And if you think that you're going to be able to have the fruit of God's word bear fruit in your life, there's absolutely no way if you are not intimate with God. If you come to church and lift up your hands and shout praises to God on Sunday, but that's all that you do on Monday when the enemy raises his voice to you, your voice will go silent. You see, here is Moses. I don't know if you're grabbing this, but God is beginning to speak the solution to Moses' problem here. God is using the intimacy that Moses desires, praise the Lord. God is using the intimacy that Moses desires to bring about answers to the problems that he's going through. I don't think you're hearing me. What God is doing is using the intimacy. He's speaking the solution to Moses' problems. When he defined who he was, he was using that definition to describe how Moses is to overcome the difficulties in his life. But God, these people are a stiff-necked people. That means that they're idiots. But God, these people are driving me crazy. They're overwhelming me. They're coming against me. They won't listen to me. And God, did I mention it's hot out here? God says, I'm a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving and Maintaining my love to thousands. Are you grabbing that? The Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is forgiving. The Lord is maintaining. The Lord is hope. The Lord is help. The Lord is refuge. I I think you get the picture here. But what God is doing is he's speaking the solution over the problem in Moses' life. People say to me all the time, they say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, why, why do you preach so much about overcoming the problem? Well, because that's the way God set it up. God, in his word, set it up that way. You see, God uses his word. He speaks to the problem by speaking the solution. Think about it. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse in the Bible, it says God created the heavens and the earth. But it goes on to say that the earth is void and formless. Problem. The very next section in that verse, it says, and darkness covered the earth. Problem. But then in the very next verse, solution. Because God said, let there be light. You see, God overcame the problem by speaking the solution over the problem by speaking the spoken his his word over the problem the word that is captured for us to read on a daily basis god spoke the solution over the problem god did not say well let's do this guys let's gather together the greatest scientists in all the world let's see if we can build us a generator that will light up the entire universe Grab some extension cords and let's wrap them around the circumference of the earth. Grab you some LED bulbs because they have a green factor. And let's just hope that everything lights up. No, God didn't do that. He did not establish a committee. He spoke to the problem by speaking the solution. He said, let there be and there was light. 
you're not hearing me. You're you're not hearing me. Understand something. Later on in that same chapter, he creates man. But then he says, that is good. But then he says, you know, it's bad for man to be alone. That's the problem. So what does he do? He speaks the solution over the problem by creating woman. You need to... uh, You need to understand, you need to understand that God does not agonize over the problem in your life because his word is the solution. Do you hear me? You're not hearing what I'm saying. His word is the solution. Everybody hold up your Bible. His word is the solution. You've got to be intentional about knowing his word because his word grants to you the solution. In fact, Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, you will have problems but take heart because I have overcome the world that is the solution Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says that everything that you lay your eyes on the world was framed by his word in other words he spoke the world into existence it goes on to say in that verse that what you see was not made from visible things but rather from the word that uttered that came out of his mouth that rolled off of his lips what I'm trying to say to you is that you as a human being are not the product of two people coming together to procreate you are the product of a word let there be and God said this God said that you have the same power and authority to speak the word let there be so why do I preach the way that I preach because Jesus because God because God said this about Jesus in John chapter 1 he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything that you see was created by his hand then it goes on to say that the word became flesh so that we might see his glory glory and his grace it's the solution it's the solution it's the solution God speaks the solution can I tell you something when the solution begins to line up with your lips miracles begin to line up with your life You've got to begin to speak the word of God. You see, when you begin to line up the word of God with your lips, miracles begin to line up in your your life. You see, you've got to begin to speak the word of God. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Solution. And the God of all grace, after I, I have suffered for a little while, problem, will himself reach down and restore me. Solution problem Jesus was hanging on a cross between two thieves but then he offered the solution it is finished we've got to begin to speak the solution over our problems because when our lips line up with his word miracles line up with our lives so you've got to begin to say my marriage may be this way but a miracle is on the way God's going to turn some things around in my life God's going to heal my son God's going to bless and touch me God's going to take my finances and turn them around because he's a God of solution Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I gotta move, I gotta move, or we're not gonna get done. Where are we at? Verse, verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8. Let me find verse 8 in my Bible. Verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground. Chapter 34. Moses bowed to the ground at once and he worshiped. Moses bowed to the ground and worshiped. I need you to understand something. When you begin to worship, your worship lines up your lips with his word. Moses bowed to the ground and he began to worship. When you don't know what to do, worship. When you're down and out, worship. When you've been beat up, worship. When you're depressed, worship. When you're confused, worship. When you're tired, 
worship because worship connects you to the substance of his compassion and his grace. Why is worship so important to God? Listen to me. Why is worship so important to God? Because God can't worship. Hear this. God can't worship. God created everything and can do anything but worship. Do you know why? Because in order to worship something, something has to be higher than you. And he is the most high God. Somebody ought to give him some crazy praise in in this place. You call that crazy praise? That's not crazy praise. That's complimentary praise. Somebody ought to give him crazy praise because he is the most high God. Lord have mercy. So, so, verse 9, verse 9, let me pick up where I left off. Verse 9, Moses says, Oh Lord, if you have found favor, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Listen, let me say this to you. He's bowing down on the ground and he's worshiping God. His face is face down into the dust, the very dust that God used to create us. You need to understand something. Worship is not an emotional preference. Worship is a spiritual discipline that should take place in our lives regardless of what is taking place. Did you hear me? It's not an emotional preference. It's a spiritual discipline that must take place in our lives regardless of what is taking place. You see, if you don't see the value of worship, it's because you don't see the value of God. But here's Moses. He's lying face down before God. He's bowed down, worshiping God. Oh, Lord, he cries out. Oh, oh Lord. And then, then it hit me. I can only imagine that this is an emotional experience for Moses. I can only imagine that tears are falling to the dust of the earth, the same dust that created man. And then it hit me. Hold on a second. Inside of that dust is seed. And the only way seed can give birth is if the seed is wet by water. So the soil has to be drenched so that the seed will be wet, so that the seed will give fruit. In other words, the worship that leaves your mouth is watering the seed that God has placed in your heart. And it will not bear fruit unless you give into the worship that he's commanded you to give. That's some good preaching right there. Let me let me go on. I, I got to move. I got to move. Verse verse 10. I, I want you to understand something. Worship, the intimacy of worship takes us to greater. The intimacy of worship takes us to greater. The intimacy of worship leads us to something. That is greater. Because look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you 
Before all of your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all of the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Hold on a second keep that verse up. I am making a covenant with you before all of the people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people that you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. All of this came about, keep the verse up, because Moses fell into a place of worship. I will do wonders that you have never seen before. Let me just go ahead and prophesy over you. This next year, God is going to do wonders in your life that you have never seen before. Wonders in your body that you have never seen before. Wonders in your finances that you have never seen before. Wonders in your marriage that you have never seen before. Wonders in your business that you, in fact, God's going to bless some of you so much in your business next year because He wants to further His kingdom through you. And if He can get it through you, He'll get it to you. Come on somebody and give Him praise in this place. Stay standing if you want, or you can sit down, whichever you're most, most comfortable with. But don't rush me. I got to take you back to something. We're going to close here in a minute. I got to take you back. How did Moses get in this situation? Well, in Exodus chapter 33, he's on Mount Sinai. Well, in chapter 32 and chapter 33, he comes down from the mountain, and the people have gone crazy, and they're beginning to worship and do, do the nay-nay and watch me whip and all that stuff, and, and, and all this crazy stuff has happened. And Moses realizes that the people have a need for intimacy, something deeper, and that God desires it. So in Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. This is beautiful. The people had confidence because they saw the cloud. Verse 10, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I love that. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. In other words, here's this young man, Joshua. Moses goes back to the village or back to the community or back to the to the tribes, and he, he wants to tell them what the, what the Lord has said. But, but Joshua's like, I ain't leaving here. We having church, and I ain't leaving. I'm going to hang out with God. He's a young man. He's taking it all in. Watch what happens. 
Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He's beginning to negotiate with God because God in previous verses has said, I'm going to give you the promise, Moses, but I'm not going to go with you because the people are stiff-necked, complaining, and I'm not going to go with them. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? Are you hearing this? When the culture crisis happens who's going to step in and be the mouthpiece who he said how will anyone know what Moses is saying is don't send us up from here unless you go with us if you don't go with us I ain't going you see what's what's most important to you the promise of God or the presence of God you see for Moses Moses is saying "I, I don't want the big house on top of the hill unless you're in it I I don't want the the land that's flowing with milk and honey unless you're in it. I I, I don't need all of the stuff unless you're in it because all of the stuff is useless without your presence. He's saying, you know what? God, just leave me in the desert with all of the problems. As long as your presence is here, I don't care to move. You see, sometimes, though, we want to worship God for what he can do for us as opposed to what he wants to do with us. Hello? Hello? Verse 17 and 18 goes on to say, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And that's how chapter 34 comes to pass where God is standing in front of Moses and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving many, maintaining my love to thousands, but, but can I show you something else? Skip down to verse 29 of chapter 34. I'm just moving around for the sake of time. But, but verse 39 or 29 of chapter 34, it says this. When Moses came down from the mountain with the two tablets, the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Can I tell you something? When you get into the presence of God... <laughs> Your face should show it. When you get into the presence of God, He changes the way you look. Your countenance begins to change. That's why sometimes I say to you, you know, some of you need to let your heart know that you, or your face know that your heart's having fun. Because when you get into the presence of God, you ought not to be like, you ought to be ready to pucker up, kiss Jesus go on I want to skip for the sake of time just go go to Joshua chapter 1 because I cannot leave the people in the desert in this series I can't do that I I, I thought that I would leave them in the desert but I can't leave them in the desert because God didn't leave them in the desert 
Joshua chapter 1, you remember that, that young dude who, who would hang out in the tent of meeting with Moses would leave and say, Joshua, let's go. we got to go tell the people what God has said. And Joshua's like, I ain't going. I ain't leaving this place. I want to hang out right here. Well, Moses dies and Joshua is picked by God to take the people into the promised land. We don't know what conversation that he had with Joshua in the tent, but evidently he had some kind of conversation with him. Look what happens in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. It says this, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. <laughs> it tells Joshua, everywhere you place your feet. Somebody move your feet. Just, just, just move your feet. Pick up your feet and set them back down where you're at. Everywhere you place your feet, I'm going to give to you. In your finances, I'm going to give it to you. In your, in the, in, in your marriage, I'm going to give it to you. In your occupation, I'm going to give it to you. Somebody needs to start moving your feet. Everywhere you place your feet, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be for you. I am compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and forgiveness. I will maintain my love to thousands. But watch this. Watch this. Verse 8, look what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do, Joshua, in order for all of this to work. He says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. <laughs> do not let this book of the law, what does it say? Depart from your lips. He says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says, don't let it depart from your lips. So look at your neighbor right now and say, what's on your lips? Go ahead. What's on your lips? What's on your lips? What's on your lips? Now, now, now watch this. He says in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The same God that spoke to Moses is the same God that is speaking to Joshua. The name of the Lord. That name that is above every other name. That name that offers hope. That name that drives out demons. That name that drives out sickness. That name that gives us prosperity. That name that gives us hope. That name. I'm going to worship when I'm down and out. I'm going to worship when I'm depressed. I'm going to worship when I'm discouraged. I'm going to worship when I'm a mess. I'm going to worship because when my worship collides with his word, something supernatural takes place in my life. Come on, somebody, and give him a hand clap of praise in this place. 